You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 41. The Journey Back. Raven. It will be in keeping with the Arlington's vision of America for me to tell you that Green Hollow accepted their new government orders and all joined the fight to liberate America from these dangerous animals. But it was not what happened that morning. Several of them, the younger boys and girls especially, submitted themselves to our military and were compliant to their new tasks. Many more were defiant and fought against the yoke that was being lowered over their collective necks. Some ended up incarcerated in their own recently vacated holding cells. Others were cut down as flurries of violence erupted. And some broke away amid the confusion, rushing through the wind door into this new world of autumn. Shots were fired through the portal. The escapees fell in the dirt, and their bodies were recovered. We could not be sure of the number of Mississippi refugees that fled before Sergeant Gray was ordered to close the door by Mr. White but it may not have been zero. What was left behind was a town in ruins. Bullet-riddled corpses, many still in their sleep attire, lined the streets. Flies buzzed in the morning haze as the stench of blood filled our nostrils. It was a vision of a nightmare. The rest of my companions had already rushed to the Zeppelin to be rid of this cursed place, but I lingered. It was then that I decided to take the long way back to the District of Columbia. I had some thinking to do, and some writing. There was one man I needed to see before I parted company, though. I found him in the airship's engine room, where the sound of machinery was a solid wall. It was inside this that Major Butler was entombed. His face was expressionless as he sat amidst the deafening clamor, and his eyes barely registered my presence. I sat beside him, in this place where none could speak. He did not indicate for me to leave, and the technicians and engineers left us be. My mind drifted to the last measures in the bottle of whiskey inside my bag. A poor commiseration. I thought instead of something else. Taking a small notebook from my pocket, I scribbled down four words and passed them to him. When was her birthday? He took the pen from my hand and noted underneath. August 13th. Only three weeks away. I penned my response. If you can keep going until then, raise a glass to her on that day and again each year. Put this anniversary above the one when she left. He gazed at the letters numbly and gave the slightest of nods. I wrote underneath, Nadies is January 5th. Miguel. I was permitted to walk the gondola of this flying ship to stretch my legs. It is a great deal roomier than Steamheart, but I already miss the safety of those close confines, the warmth, the sound of her furnace, 
and the pistons and the wheels on the ground. I have traveled so much this year, met so many individuals from different cultures who have surprised me, and I can feel myself becoming older, wiser, sadder. It is not a lifestyle I would give up. I like being nomadic. That was one of the things I valued most about Steamheart. She was the home that traveled with us. Dr. Penrose stood alone, gazing out of a wide window at the distant fields below. It felt strange to travel above clouds, like we are all angels now. I moved up beside him, and he glanced at me. I want to thank you, Miguel, he said. I've been going over the course of events in my mind, and because of your cunning intervention, the rescue plan that you hatched on your own, you averted disaster. At 12 years old, so much braver than I, you accomplished something practically impossible. Our companions, nearly all of them, are alive now, thanks to you. That means a great deal to me, sir, I replied. But it was a group effort. Major Butler dealt with their numbers enough that the RSA troops would not be overwhelmed. Mr. Raven covered for my absence so they would not hunt me down. And my mother prevented them from closing in and killing us. And you managed something miraculous too with, with the... And here I mimed how he had opened that immense portal. Yes, I did finally use this thing for its purpose. He tapped his eye patch. Without the doorway, the shooting would most likely have continued until one side was extinct. But really, it was Harry who saved us there. Summoning it, understanding the physics, such as they are, required a clarity of thinking that I was not capable of. She got me working. She fixed me. He broke off and rubbed his hands across his face, exhausted. That young lady is better than all of us. There was a long silence as we reflected on the extent of the damage. She still has her mind. She still has her hands. I think she will be all right, Doctor. We all saved each other, and I am happy enough with that. He smiled softly and nodded, neither contradicting me nor agreeing. I lost too many to be happy, Miguel. But you are right. We came through together. Prowl. It is today. I watched the females, heavy with cub, being led on shaking limbs from the prison houses of these monsters, or else carried. Miguel stands with me. We gaze at the burned shell of Steamheart, and I wonder what could bring humans to destroy something so singularly magnificent. Miguel does not understand either, and I know I can never fully trust this species. I do not see the white-armored American leader again. On the flying machine, we are given a room to ourselves and are visited by several people over the time of the journey. Most of the team come in one by one. 
Jeremy asks if I can give him the details of where I have been. I try my best, but I must be careful with the language I convey to Miguel for translation. My son cannot know how powerful my need to stay away and alone with Seth was. What good would this knowledge do him? Would it lend perspective to know his mother was on the cusp of abandoning all of them? That solitude in nature was so much more comforting than the idea of being surrounded by men and the never-ending fear of what they will do to my cub. That I fear this freedom is something I will look back upon and ache inside not to have. And then there is Seth himself. I know he wanted me to stay with him. His energy reminded me of Haka, but less possessive. He was quieter, more reflective, someone able to question himself. I found that oddly appealing. I will never be forced again, but I could elect to choose a companion whose needs reflected my own. But that does not diminish the dangerous being he remains, and his witch only unnerved me further. I ponder what they hatched when they pulled me from the father of passing. I was shot many times at the battle we just survived. I felt the dull spearheads from the guns of men tear through my flesh. It was agonizing at the time, but I was angry enough to fight through it. These are crafted from a substance I first encountered when bound by the lion slavers, and later saw in many weapons and contraptions, and it was threaded throughout her steam heart. Harry called it metal, and there are many different kinds. I do not entirely trust it. Later, Dr. Penrose bade me lie on a table while he removed the metal pieces the men left inside me. Now as I lie and touch the bandaged wounds on my arms and legs, I can feel beneath the caked, dried blood that my wounds are itching. The pain has subsided, and now they are mending, and it is far, far too fast. Even the injured bone along my forearm feels to be knitting together inside my flesh. I am disturbed at this gift Seth has bestowed. I can feel something new inside me now, a fresh wildness, a need to run like I have never felt before. I am not Teru, but something of those creatures has had an effect, just as they left their mark within him. I will never forget those dark magics that passed from Seth and Brioth into me, and I cannot escape the feeling that I am bound to the two of them in the way that James and Abigail are bound. We share something unspoken, intangible, but unmistakably there, and very, very powerful. If I let my mind relax, I can feel part of each of them in there. Not thinking, not speaking, but existing within me. And I will definitely never forget the witch whispering her harsh words into my ear. (sighs) 
This, of course, makes me feel guilty about Miguel and how I would have to leave him. But we discuss his independence and the resilience he showed when I was gone forever. He had survived without me once and expressed confidence that he could do so again. He is growing up so fast. Abigail came to see us later on and asked about the Durga tribe. Would they take us back if I approached them? If the men could accept a cat like me within their ranks, surely my rational people could accept a harmless little thing like Miguel. I looked at his lean muscles and the claws he maintains, thought of his effectiveness as both hunter and killer, and wondered how far I could stretch the term harmless. To illustrate, I move to the tabletop and carve indentations in the wood swiftly with my claws. Many quick strokes, and we have countless little notches, which reminds me I have lost count of how many need to be added to my bracer for all the lives I have taken in this Durga tribe. I point a pad to this side of the table. I say plainly in their language. She nods and I draw a thin line down the center and then cross it out. That door has been closed. Then I scratch into the other side of the table, only a few marks, counting with the numbers Miguel has been teaching me. One, two, three, four, five, six, and a seventh for Annie. Then I add myself and Miguel as the eighth and ninth. Our tribe, I say, and circle the pads of both my paws around in the air, encompassing us all. For the first time, Abigail steps forward and embraces me. I do not know how to react, so I pat my paw gently to her back. Our tribe, she repeats. James. On the evening of July 24th, 1883, the same day of the standoff at Green Hollow, the crew of Steamheart finally arrived back at the District of Columbia. It had taken us three months and five days for that wonderful machine to reach its final destination and destruction, and it took only one day to return. Were the airship Thundercloud up and running in April of this year, I wonder how much more could have been accomplished on our journey, and yet how much less. Waiting for me were two things. The first was a handwritten letter from Rebecca. James, I am hours away from my ship down the Potomac River, bound for the ocean and England. I debated writing you this because I want us both to be able to live without one another. But I also know I would dearly like to see you again. If it can be done, we shall find a way. If it cannot, I suppose we shan't. But I am willing to try, even if it entails waiting and long-distance correspondences. 
That is why my first order of business once I reach my destination will be establishing where this break in the undersea telegraph line between Ireland and Canada may be. I think it best that we have a goal, and mine right now is communication between the continents. So if nothing else, if we never see each other's faces or hear one another's voices again, I would like to thank you for giving me renewed purpose. Your beloved, Rebecca. The second item that awaited me was a package wrapped in brown paper, which I could tell by the weight and dimensions was a book. Tearing it open with tired fingers, I found a thumbed 1878 English translated edition of a serialised novel called The Mysterious Island by the great Jules Verne. Alongside was a simple note. James, this is just a little present I had tracked down for you. We haven't left Washington yet, and by the time you get back, you could well be sick to death of amazing machines. But I recall someone telling me about this one, and I have a sneaky inkling. You'll like it all the same. Everyone deserves to feel like a kid again from time to time. You keep that taste for adventure. Annie. I sat down at the table of my lodgings with both of these treasures under my folded arms, lowered my head, and as Annie had instructed me many months ago, I let all of what had happened out. After a day's rest, Abigail and I were brought to meet with director Catherine Holloway. So? She asked. You can both control it now? I nodded. We shall need some time for experimentation, and Abigail must remain with me for the safe closure of all doors that I open. But yes, I can... We can both control it. And are you happy to do this, Abigail? Catherine asked looking over at her former protégé with concern. Abigail did not speak for a while, but appeared to be weighing things up. I'll stay with James. And I'll do as you ask, Catherine. And when others are commanding you. What do you want me to say? That fucker Wyatt had them fire on all of us. I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. Well, he has presidential clearance, which supersedes mine. Catherine grimaced. He's not even in an official government position. This is all new stuff I'm not party to. Even Thomas and Sarah weren't. I'm loyal to you, was all Abigail would say on the matter any further. How is Major Butler? He's been given an honorable discharge. We couldn't put him back in the field. His injuries alone mean he can barely walk right now. He insisted I tend to Harry first. I know, and he was right to do so. But just like Harry, just like Annie, there was a limit to what you could have done. Two of them are alive now because of you. Will he get to live somewhere peaceful? He's going to a location he wants to be kept secret. I'm honoring that for his retirement. Poor, poor man. I told everyone back when we were in the cell how she went out. I just couldn't talk to him directly about it and tell him how much both of us valued their protection. 
I just, I just want to know he'll be all right. We won't put a gun back in his hand. He's performed the duties required of him. We can ask no more. Oakley and Butler will be American heroes. I'll see to that. And I know the face of a man who needs to rest. As for you two, I'll see about promotions, a house in Washington each, whatever you need right now. Your valuable assets to the RSA, but more than that, I want to make sure you're going to be okay yourselves. Abigail fished into her bag and brought out a now battered handbook, stained with a little blood. I do have one request, she said. Abigail. I was led into the dark bedroom of our 18th president, Ulysses S. Grant. He was in his bed and hovering at death's door. I did not oblige him to speak, but he did so anyway. Forgive me, Captain Gray, he said, his deep, rumbling old voice cracking. I conducted my presidency in the vain hope of staving off another war amongst ourselves. And considering what we are on the brink of, I have failed all of us. I look on it as what they're fighting against and what we're fighting for, sir. As far as I'm concerned, they're the ones who are failing. You're very kind. Sir, if it's not too impertinent a question, why did you give this white the power he has? Strictly between you and me? The guy's a man-man. White is a necessary evil for a very troubled time. I regret that necessity more than I regret tasking him to his duties. I decided not to argue any further as he surveyed my book. Got quite a collection here. He noted, looking at all the signatures and adding his own shaky, weakened line below Catherine's. It looked like someone drawing the waves of a turbulent ocean. This one's going to be pretty valuable soon, I'll bet. I nodded solemnly and glanced down at the eleven names. Nearly half of them were now priceless, but one of those was beyond even that, to me at least. Miguel, I have killed intelligent beings again. It has taken me a day to begin to understand that, and how it is different now. I am not filled with revulsion and shame this time. I did what had to be done, and as a result our friends are alive. I do not like to think about what might have happened if I had hesitated, had the freed Major Butler not wreaked bloody havoc within Green Hollow, Perhaps they would have simply fought the army to their last fanatical boy soldier. This was a weighing up of the lives of many people against the lives of few. But they were bad people, surely, 
They took slaves, they mutilated and murdered. A hundred of them, a thousand of their misspent lives, are not worth even one of my precious compatriots. I tell myself this story until I am convinced. Rao and I are shown to our new place of living at Langley. Catherine opens up a pressure door and a cavernous room presents itself as Jeremy walks us around, showing off what he has pulled together. There is a large bed for me, a reinforced wide and soft one for her. Bookshelves line the walls. There are vox tubes set aside on a writing desk and soft orange lighting. In the kitchen area are cooking facilities and cupboards filled with foods. Jars of colorful candy are arranged side by side, along with bowls of fruit which Jeremy lovingly gestures to. Beside the bed is a wardrobe stocked with clothes in my size, but on the wall is something that touches my heart to look upon. It is a framed poster from a Lucha Libre wrestling match that took place some five years ago. Enrique Ugartechia stands flexing his muscles, clad in a face mask that has been colored on the poster, the red, white, and green of Mexico. Opposite him is the fearsome devil, Los Hombre Lobo, the Nahual man, tassels of fur tied around his legs and arms. Their epic balletic clash was the story of our own violent dealings with the creatures, and I was somehow lucky enough to be there to see one of these performances. How did you get this? I ask, breathless. He gave it to me, for you. When? Yesterday. He lives here in Washington with his family. His little son, Enrique Jr., wants to be a luchador, too. Can I meet him? Sure. Are you busy this afternoon? I glance around and grin at Harau, who relaxes visibly when she sees how happy I am with this setup. <laughs> I can look into my schedule. Now the good news is, Catherine says, that you two can stay here as long as you like. The pair of you are now officially ambassadors for Rama. Your job is to teach us as much as you can. And the bad news? It's not so bad. You just have to bring me everywhere when we step outside of Langley. These terms are acceptable. I explain what is going on to Horao, who has been distant occasionally, glancing away west when she thinks I am not looking. She agrees as well, but asks about the door in West Virginia. That's the next thing I want to talk about, says Jeremy. Pines. The next month we make the journey out with a contingent of troops guarding James, Abigail, Hrau, Miguel and I, and pitch up at Clendenin. We naturally asked about Malloy first, and none of the residents had even heard of him, nor Colby. But they had sighted a white tiger in the woods. Abigail already had the trail with this wind door catching her starlit eye, and she led the way as Rao picked up a scent. It led us to a cave deep in the woods, and what we found there is worthy of another story entirely. Then I returned home to Donald, and after a lot of talking and affection, we set to work again sat back-to-back -back in the unicorn offices, cataloging the stranger and stranger things that were happening in our world each year that went by. 
You have been listening to episode 41 of Steamheart, The Journey Back, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. James, Raven, Miguel, and Ulysses S. Grant, performed by Alex Shaw. Abigail Gray and Rebecca Wolverton, performed by Sharon Shaw. Catherine Holloway, performed by Maya Santandrea. Harry Arlington and Annie Oakley, performed by Loretta Saylor. Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lieb. Rao, performed by Maureen Foley. Jeremy Pines, performed by Matt Wardle. Truth Arlington, performed by Theo Lee. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Thunderbird, Clean Soul, Overheat, Wounded, Whimsy Groove, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you to Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, John Clayson, Tyler Long, Adam Kilmartin, Joe Gazeka, Greg Downing, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dachler, and Lorraine Chisholm. After next week's final episode of Steamheart, the New Century Multiverse will continue for the time being in written form, with new chapters published online every week, beginning with Book 9, Uncivil Outlaw.